Welcome to Talk Commerce, where we explore how merchants, agencies, and developers experience commerce and the communities they work and live in. This week, we interview Yoav Kutner, the co-founder of Varian, Magento, Akinio, Mageco, and Oro Commerce. Not to name a few, what didn't he found? Wow. Well, I found him today on our podcast. He is also a member of the Forbes Technology Council. We talk a little bit about the early history of Magento, but don't worry, we go right into Oro and the Oro business application program that he developed. The BAP that Yoff helped develop is the foundation for many of the solutions on the market today. These include Oro CRM and Akinio. We talk about Oro Commerce and why it makes sense for a B2B company to use it straight out of the box. Yoff gives us some insight into his thinking on self-serve platforms and how to reduce any resistance to the B2B buying journey. We discuss how different the journey is for B2B, and Yoav gives us three of his driving factors that helps Oro deliver great results. This is an episode that must be shared with all your friends and family. Even your grandparents are going to love this show. Today's informational humor, building a website is like baking brownies. They're best when there's a great gooey. That's spelled G-U-I. The Talk Commerce podcast is sponsored by Swift Daughter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet Swift Daughter. Swift Daughter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento Certification Study Materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TALKCOMMERCE for 15% off any digital goods at swiftotter.com. Cloud is a new normal for companies of any size. Buying, maintaining, upgrading, and disposing of machines is expensive and complicated. Amazon Web Services, managed by eWay Corp, offers an easy-to-use, flexible, cost-effective solution to all your infrastructure needs. eWay Corp can provide a secure, reliable, scalable, high-performance network that will make your office hum, not literally. Eway Corp has saved its customers an average of 31% on their IT costs while adding 62% to the bottom line efficiency. To top that, their customers have seen 43% fewer security incidents. Go to eWayCorp.com to learn how you can start saving money and headaches by moving to the cloud. That's E-W-A-Y-C-O-R-P.com. My name is Brent Peterson and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, Talk Commerce. Welcome to this special Oral Commerce episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Yoav Kutner today from uh, from Oro. Yoav is the the founder, co-founder of Magento and the co-founder of Oro. Uh, Yoav, why don't you give yourself a, uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us uh, maybe one of your passions in life? Oh, my passion in life. Uh, well, developing uh, code uh, that I don't get to do much anymore for many years. 
uh, but that was definitely my one of my biggest passions. Um, I think if I have to put it into more perspective of what I actually do and am passionate about is building products and uh, kind of building the vision of a product, uh, uh, kind of designing the the architecture of it, the feature set, the building the roadmap. I I really love that and and really building solutions that I can see companies using uh, to solve problems that they have and digitizing their processes and stuff like that. That's I know it's uh, a dorky one, but that's definitely my passion. So almost almost second to, uh, well, first, my second passion will be guitar playing, but that's, I'm, I'm even worse at that than I am at building products. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and we've learned that your band is going to be very popular and maybe selling out some stadium events. So we'll get- Yeah, I just, need to, I just need to reform the band. We did a reunion after 25 years, uh, but yeah, we <laughs> definitely need to reform the band. And that's the goal. I, by age 50 to have a world tour. <laughs> all right. Excellent. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's kind of start off with some history. Uh, you were the co-founder of Magento, the CTO for Magento. Uh, and I, I really embrace what you said about finding solutions. Magento in its early stages was found to be a great solution for a lot of people. Maybe you could speak to kind of where the very end came from and how how that got started, and and then we'll move into Oro Commerce. Sure, sure, absolutely. <clears throat> so um, me and Roy, we met um, at UCLA. Well, we both attending UCLA, um, and we started the. Um, it was called iRubin when I met him. He had his own company, uh, kind of a one man show. Uh, I joined him, and we kind of renamed it Varian. Um, we did a barter on with a marketing uh, slash uh, PR person slash uh, brand, and they uh, came up with this name. Um, but what we started focusing, we were actually doing any custom web development. Um, basically, Roy was selling, I was developing. We started hiring more and more developers. Uh, and this was 2004. So as we started uh, from building custom web uh, websites and what we used to call dynamic websites and data-driven websites, uh, we started seeing that e-commerce was taking more and more of our customers. Um, we selected a solution called OS Commerce. I think that's already sold that a lot of the new developers don't even know the solution, but that was the number one open source e-commerce kind of platform on the market. Um, and we started using that more and more uh, to the point where we really built very complex uh, multi-website solutions. We built POS systems on top of it. We had like uh, uh, and point of sale, we had uh, kiosks uh, for traveling, uh, you know, um, uh, events and stuff like that, all built on top of this. And we started building a robust uh, backend system to kind of manage all these features that we were building in OS Commerce. But it was definitely um, outgrowing the technology that we were based on, meaning that we had too much debt, uh, that community was not growing, was not really developing much in terms of the roadmap or improving the product. So like many other companies, we actually ended up forking it really badly, meaning that we were responsible for it already. Um, and one of the biggest things we did, again, is a very old story. Uh, we, we separated the, the view from the control. We created a smarty template system for that, right? We did a lot of these work that were not backwards compatible for sure. Not the backwards compatibility was actually uh, even a possibility with OS Commerce. Uh, but basically, um, we really had our fork of voice commerce that we were offering our customers to the point where around 2006, we started really growing. We started hiring really, really good developers. We started ex um, expanding to Ukraine, uh, where we found really a great pool of developers that were able to, to do really good work. And that built our confidence to the point where we said, look, 
we either stay with what we have right now and continue investing in it and fixing it, or we start from scratch, either finding a new platform or building one for our customers. And we really looked around, couldn't find too much uh, on the market at that time that was kind of suitable for everything. So we really looked at uh, building our own. And at this one pivotal moment, I guess, in 2006, I walked into Roy's office and I said, Roy, what about if we release it as open source? What's the worst that can happen? And literally, that was the term that we used. And, um, and when I said that, um, he said, yeah, let's do it. What, again, what can go wrong, right? Uh, and this was when, right before we started, uh, we spent most of the first half of 2007 just building uh, out the solution, scrapping a lot of what we were doing. And basically, uh, from May till kind of uh, August of 07, when we released the first, I think, uh, beta of uh, Magento, we really uh, did this. And it was a very small team. It was a team of about uh, four people uh, and myself, so four developers and myself building the product. Um, we were doing it all over chatting on Skype. Um, and we promised Roy that we can do our day-to-day -day job uh, while doing this. So we gave about eight hours of uh, billable work and then eight, 12 hours <laughs> of uh, building Magento after hours and weekends. And that's how we were doing it. Um, and that that's kind of the technology product side of it. I think what we also um, have to share and give credit, of course, to this is that Roy did an amazing job of communicating what we were doing, kind of uh, documenting it. And this is kind of still early days so we, he was doing a vlog before it was called a vlog and we had the great blog about uh, e-commerce. So we used that to start uh, highlighting what we were building with Magento and that formed the community around what we were doing. So we had about 50,000 followers on the blog for the e-commerce. And then when we started launching Magento that grew to anywhere like uh, I think it was uh, about 200,000 people already following what we were doing before we released the line of code, to be honest. Um, and, and that just pushed the product out. Roy was doing an amazing job communicating it, marketing it. Uh, we were getting feedback, what people need. So we were not guessing like what features we actually are going to invest in and release with the first version. And, and when it came out, we were just blown away by the response that we got. And we were definitely not ready for this. Again, we were a services company, just building it for our own customers. And like almost overnight, we had to change our kind of uh, vision and look at uh, becoming a product company and building this for um, for a community and ecosystem that's around us. Well, that's that's I mean that's a great story and I I have, I don't know if I've heard it in such detail. Thank you for that. I I think one thing you said was uh, we're going to we're going to do this as open source. I I kind of grew up in the Microsoft community where I did you know first ASP some ASP development then .NET. And uh, I remember doing shopping carts in the 90s where there, there was no such thing as open source. And, and I think Microsoft in its culture was so closed that you wouldn't ever think about doing that. What was in your decision-making process? How did you come up with doing open source? How did you decide, hey, I'm going to share this with everybody? You're muted. Yeah, sorry, for us, we were, it was a non-brainer because we were using open source. Um, everything that we were building solutions for our customers were open, was open source. Um, and that's from the development language. We selected the PHP, although we were doing different ones in the beginning, but PHP was like taking over. It was accessible. We could find, you know, a snippet of codes, uh, frameworks, uh, libraries very easily. Um, so we started using more and more PHP. And, um, and then the solutions themselves. So if it was, um, you know, um, 
PHPBB or you know solutions that people don't know today, but we were using all these um, these open source uh, products uh, to create solutions for our customers. And of course, OS Commerce, right? That was the e-commerce platform that we were using was open source. Um, so again, what, what I learned from open source is, you know, back then, and I think even feel about it much stronger today, and we can talk about where the future of open source is maybe later, but I think back then to open source or not to open source, I think the answer was always what's, what what can you lose from going open source and there's all to gain and nothing to lose and i think that's that was the approach we had back then again we were not a product company where we already had the license and you know we would then go back and open source like some companies did and that caused some of their customers to ask questions why should we pay you if now you're opening and giving a free version i think that's not the question i think the question was what a small company you know with uh, we were about 40 people at the time uh can achieve if we open source, right? And, and aside from the contributions, aside from the community, aside from giving the power to, to have uh, you know, an ecosystem and developers that are contributing, I think one thing that is missed a lot is that that allowed us to have um, organic marketing, right? So when, when we got acquired by eBay and they asked us, what's your spend on marketing? And we were like, well, we don't even have a, almost a line item for that, right? Because we don't have traditional marketing spend but if we look at our open source product that's our investment in our marketing that brought us most of our leads right most of our potential customers and that was our investment and that was how we were creating uh, the buzz the brand recognition the the lead generation everything was done using and utilizing this ecosystem that was building around our product so that was our investment so again if i if i look back again i, I can argue today if we need to do open source not open source there's different different things for to consider today but back then the, the question for us was a non-brainer it was like what what can we lose there's very little we can lose there's only things we can gain yeah and i think we we saw the great success that you had early on uh, let's fast forward then to when when you left magento and you started oro um you started it as a crm platform right can you uh, can, can you repeat it sir yeah, so okay. you you fast forward. Let's fast forward to when you when you went off. You started Oro. You started with a framework, and that right. that's been used for with a number of other platforms. Give us some background on on how you arrived at a CRM and and then the framework that you created. Which then you can correct me, but I turned some of that turned into a Kineo and right. probably a lot more than we don't know about. So I, I think, um, let me just, yes, correct you a little bit. So actually one big decision that we did with Aura versus what we did at Magento was that, um, and I'll start from the framework level and then we'll get into your question. Sorry, it's going to be a long answer. So with Magento, we really looked for a framework and we chose Zen framework at the time. Uh, the problem was that Zen framework, if I look back, I would say that that was more of a marketing decision than a product slash technology decision that we made get our brand out we were one of the only companies to actually build a real big project on zen framework at the time and it really brought us a lot of attention a lot of developers that were interested to see how to use zen framework it was very hyped and um, but again nobody was using it and we ended up selecting it when it was still in beta so we paid a lot of price for that plus we had to create a lot of components internally at magento on our own for good and for bad and mostly for bad mostly for bad because we were 
learning and developing things that we could not uh, verify or learn from other people's mistakes. We were doing this on our own. So for example, uh, the database structure the, or the, um, you know, how we were treating blocks and, and inserting uh, dynamic uh, parts into caching uh, with the ability to cache a page, et cetera. So we were really inventing stuff for good and for bad. Again, I don't know if that's what we should have been doing. Um, and, and I think we saw a lot of this in Magento too. Again, the this idea of creating a framework rather than using something that's already proven and existing to solve the same problems. Again, if you need to solve a set of problems that is not there, that's a different story. But if you can find something that's already proven and solves the, your problem, I rather use that because it's proven and you won't hit the, the same landmines as you would if you do it on your own. So that's what we did with our, we looked around and for us, we did find Symphony and Symphony 2 at that, uh, that uh, was an amazing framework. It had everything we needed, I'll say 98% of what we needed was out of the box. We could use it in the way that they designed it. So we actually didn't have to go and create a framework, right? We really built on top of Symphony. That allowed us to, uh, first of all, tie into their ecosystem already. There are already a bunch of developers that are using it. it allowed us to lower the learning curve because we're using the same solution that more and more platforms are, and uh, products are using. So again, developers already know the fundamentals of how to use this framework. They just need to kind of learn the business domain of what the products that we're doing and building are. So that's why we invested in using that. And, and we took, you know, we had to learn to adjust because from Magento where we were doing everything we wanted to do the way we wanted it to, we had to kind of learn, right? And spend the time to understand why Symphony doing th things the way they do. Can we actually build on top of that using that um, that way? And the answer is yes, 99.9% we could do anything using how Symphony wants it, even if it's not how we as developers think it should be, or we can do it better, you know, all these uh, slogans that developers come and say, we actually really committed to using Symphony, and that really allowed us to develop much faster, focus on our business domain and create the products we wanted. And that said, what we started with was the BAP or the business application platform called Aurora Platform. The idea there was that we are creating a domainless business application, meaning that it doesn't do any work, but it has all the fundamental features that you will need to build a business application. And that means that you'll have your user management, your ACL, uh, menus, you can create, you create uh, entities, you can create attributes, you can create uh, frame, uh, sorry, um, uh, business logic around those uh, entities. Um, so, and that just to provide you uh, a, a better starting point to creating your business applications. That's something we saw, again, we're not guessing, we saw that being tried to be used on Magento where people were stripping out pieces, they decoupling a lot of stuff just to create, for example, a video library management tool or stuff like that, right? And why, we asked them, why are you doing that? That's so, you know, we're so uh, specializing in e-commerce. Why are you doing that? Because we see a lot of features we, we would need to develop anyway, and you have them. So that's where I started thinking and saying, maybe we really start at the lower point not you know uh, binding it directly to e-commerce or to CRM at the time that we were doing, but really creating a more fundamental uh, piece of code that allows uh, companies to take that and it can be for their own use for products that they cannot find off the shelf. We know a lot of still a lot of businesses need custom development to to create applications that they cannot find off the shelf because it's unique to them, but also for other companies that want to build products. And that's where kind of joint forces with Akenio. I met them uh, really early on. I love those guys. I knew them for years, working with them in the Magento ecosystem. When they pitched to me the idea for Kineo, I was uh, sold. I knew a PIM is a big 
big, big uh, need on the market and, um, and I like their approach to it. So I actually co-founded that company with them um, with one uh, request that they try to use as much of our platform as possible for developing their product. Um, and they did. So they're using a lot of the components, especially initially, they were using a lot of the components um, out of, of our uh, platform. Um, and again, based on their needs and, and uh, how fast they were developing, they actually added their own components as well. But again, we're based on the same framework, based on the same technology. It looks very, very similar. Uh, you can tell that they're kind of built fundamentally in the same product. But again, they've they've were able to you know change the design. You know, they're they're from France, so they have much better taste than me in uh, making products look good. So um, so definitely, product looks a bit different. They they could still make it individual, right, and, and make it their own. Um, but still, um, a great company and a great product that they built using some of our components. So at least, you know, we were able to accelerate some of their development in the beginning. Yeah, and then yes, there's other companies, uh, Morello, open source uh, ERP. Uh, there's HR role, it's uh, HR software built on our product, and there's others that are using it, and there's companies that built uh, solutions uh, internally for that they're using our platform uh, as a solution. Yeah, I think a, a really good comment on using a catalog for something other than just trying to sell things. I, I, I'm 100% guilty of using Magento to to video to make a video library because it works fantastic and it's amazing how many clients overlook or ask another company hey can you custom make this video library and i'll say well did you know the product has natural native video and that there's a category structure and there's a bunch of attributes that you can create and that would turn into a natural video library you don't have to do anything that's right. one thing that's always hard to get across I think merchants and even developers who maybe aren't aren't looking outside the box um, or or aren't always looking to see what can I do with this without having to do any programming. And I think certainly what you've done on both Magento and now Oro is give the ability to do a lot of these things for non-programmers uh, when you get to the application. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually, you know, it takes me way, way back. I think for me, that was an obvious thing that we should do. And, and again, it's not obvious at all, right? I mean, um, wh while we were gaining more and more customers and saw customers that are leaving, you know, older solutions like ATG and Oracle, right? And we learned about their frustrations, right? I mean, uh, uh, Yahoo stores, another good example, right? Of how people used to manage their stores on Yahoo stores. And, uh, but, but I was so surprised by companies like ATG of like what it takes to create a product page, what it takes to create a new feature, right? That's definitely something that we were different generation, I think, we're at that time. I mean, everything expanded from that, but, uh, but the ability to give more control to the actual user was a big, big selling point of what we were offering. So I remember the example of, oh, you know, we we were sitting at a sales call with one of our biggest uh, customers to date on Magento really early on. And, and they were asking us, what will it take to add like um, a YouTube video to a product page? And they said, give us an estimate. Is it going to be like 500 hours, a thousand hours? You know, what's, what's the estimate for that? And I said, well, you do it right now. And I literally opened, you know, the admin and showed them how we added the video. And they're like, no way. <laughs> it cannot be that simple, right? So yes, it should and could, and, it, and we should keep on remembering, even if we're developers, and I'm not a developer anymore, I won't say we, but even for developers to remember that the end user is a user, is not a developer, right? And we want them to be able to use the, what they need and to be efficient about it, right? And 
we have to sometimes put our product and user usability and glasses on before we develop something we really like. Yeah, so, uh, and I'm just gonna make a comment that once a developer, also always a developer. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I find myself writing bash scripts on the weekends just to, yeah, as a relaxing thing, which is completely silly. And I was never a very good developer. Um, but I do find it relaxing to at least do something other than sales or whatever I do now. Um, so I'm, I'm I, well, I have I have the same the same thing. I to keep my chops and like uh, my abilities. I have a piece of code that I write every weekend just to remind myself. I literally it's two lines of code, but it really helps. It's a you know first line is uh, echo. You must write code, and second line is go to the next first line, right? And I keep doing that over and over again just to remind myself I need to write code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. To keep yourself at least in some practice, and and exactly. honestly, sometimes it's fun. Uh, just to do that, to, to keep yourself involved. And then the, the, the next thing is to hear when a new developer says, oh, that's going to be so difficult. We can't do that. Um, I'm sure the first thing you do is say, well, you can already do it without any development. But the next thing you'll say is that's not as difficult as you think. And I think Oro um, or the, the, your BAP framework gives you that underlying structure that the developers could use to make sure to, to make those solutions without a lot of extra work. Right. So and focus on the work they need to do versus going to a customer and saying, I have to build for you a user management or an ACL access control level or, 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 you know, single sign on every time from scratch. No, you, you do that time and time again. And as developers, I mean, you know, that's one of the, um, you know, things that developers have, they try to make their work easier, right? If you do something more than twice, you want to automate, right? And that should be your guiding force for everything. If you're building a software for, for companies time and time again, and you're doing the same feature, I know everybody will have some piece of code that they're using, right? That brings them 60, 70, 80% of the way. That's how we thought about the BAP. We said, you know, that should be a good starting point that brings you anywhere from 60 to 80% along the way. And you focus on the pieces of code and, and features that you cannot find off the shelf because they're unique to the business you're working with or solution you're building. So yeah, that was what was guiding us. And so you've, I know you mentioned Symphony. Um, do you feel that the, so the, how that handles data and how it, it handles compared to Magento 1.3.2.4, which had the old, the old sales structure with the sales tables all through entities? Do you feel as though um, that gives you less pain in when you're moving to higher volumes or higher higher uh, capacity sites where you know the coding in Magento, the older versions of Magento was great, but we all saw that at some volume it kind of fell down. Right, right. You, you felt more comfortable now going forward with what you have with the Symphony when you first started that. Um, so I, I will say that in terms of performance, again, if I'm, if I'm putting Magento 2 versus Symphony uh, 2, right? And I look at these two uh, pieces of code, I do see a lot of the struggles that Magento 2 was going through uh, early on. I'm maybe following a bit less right now, but early on, there was a lot of issues. And actually, when I was brought by Magento to kind of take a look of and give my perspective of what's going on in Magento 2, I was actually not happy to see that they chose the route of uh, creating everything again on their own. And when I was talking and interviewing the developers, their answer was, I can do it better, trust me. And that's 
famous last words, right? That's not something you want to hear. And sure enough, that's what happened. Uh, Symphony was at it already for about seven years at that time. So a lot of the performance issues were non issue anymore, um, allowed you to focus on scalability. That said, again, in the use case, in the use cases that we focus on, we'll always find issues that, you know, Firmic is not there to solve. It gives you the tools to solve it, but it won't solve it for you. I mean, it's still something that we need to kind of focus on and, and use the tools that we have, but we don't have to worry about fundamentals. That's the key. You won't have you know, an issue with performance because of uh, how you build your entity system, right? Or stuff like that, because it's that's already proven. It's used by thousands or hundreds of thousands of solutions already, and they knew and went through all the pains that, to get there. Again, it doesn't mean that we'll solve everything. And we had our challenges. I mean, in B2B, and I'm jumping ahead a bit, but in our commerce, uh, we have in B2B, we have huge catalogs, um, millions and millions of uh, SKUs with uh, custom pricing. So imagine the permutations of, of your pricing on top of millions and millions of products. Um, so that is not something the, the framework should solve for you. That's your solution and that's your issues and you have to come up with ways to solve it, make it scalable, make it performant. So I think that again, you should ask a framework to be fundamentally there for you, um, solve, uh, perform as described, meaning that again, this is what you can do with it. But then when it gets to specific issues that you're dealing with you it's your responsibility as a developer to work with those tools to solve them that makes sense um so i think today our our ultimate goal is to hear about oral commerce can we kind of just go through the all the different all the different products that you've developed through oro yep. if you started with crm and then mm -hmm. and then you just kind of walk us through that roadmap of of all the exciting things that you've done so um, we started with CRM. Uh, the idea was, again, not to guess what the world needs, but to kind of focus on what we know for Magento. Uh, and we were very complementary, I think, to the Magento ecosystem at the time. Um, and we really uh, started creating a CRM. Um, our take on the CRM was, uh, and Aura CRM is the name of the product. Our take on that product was um, that there was no true, uh, what we call multi-channel um, CRM tool. Most of the CRM tools, even though the name is client relation management, were more geared towards pipeline management, meaning it was a tool for a sales manager to get a view of the sales pipeline and how good the, the sales team is, uh, is performing, right? Um, and it's called, you know, it's a, it's a very bad word. It's called the productivity tool, right? Which is non-productive at all because it requires the sales team to continuously update data into a third-party system that they don't work in and they have zero value for almost and that's what we saw that, you know, people that were using CRM's systems at the time were either not using it or they were using it very little and they were, it was pushed down the throat of everybody. So that putting uh, what we learned in Magento was that um, there was no good tools for merchants and B2C uh, merchants to, to have tools that uh, they can interact with their, their customers, right? And that's where we took kind of our CRM to and we really created this uh, multi-channel CRM that we really put as the central repository of all your customer data. That means that we could connect easily to any data source that you have customer interactions with. And that can be, you know, uh, any request forms, any customer service. We were integrated with Zendesk and stuff like that. And really build your e-commerce store, right? Everything like that. And bring it all into one place and create views that a user could create, right? Select what data is important for him. Maybe his manager creates this view for him as well. It depends on how you want to set it up. But the idea is that they see relevant data when they open a customer record. 
And that can be for B2B, for B2C, for anything. Um, and that means that if you're a salesperson and you're opening it, you see relevant data. For example, even data of how happy this customer is with our support, right? So when you're interacting with them, you get that piece of data because it's important for you. Uh, the customer support can see the last order, where it is, where it's stuck, so they can actually be more prepared. So really like building this, um, this place where all the customer data sits, building the views uh, for the specific user in the company. Uh, another point that was missed a lot was marketers. So being allowing marketers to use this data to create segments, to create uh, marketing lists, et cetera. So we really thought that's where it should sit. And then we can use whatever system. We had a built-in, but we could use whatever email marketing system to use that. So that's what we created. I went to market with that. It started gaining a lot of traction. Specifically, we targeted, of course, Magento first. I created a really deep integration with Magento and we started picking up really, really well uh, with this uh, product. Uh, like usual, what happens, we kind of um, awoke the giants, right? And um, companies like Salesforce and HubSpot that just went public and uh, Sugar CRM started using the same marketing, you know, multi-channel CRM, B2C CRM, we can do everything, blah, blah, blah. And it started being very competitive for us where we would, we started looking at, uh, you know, getting out of the Magento uh, kind of sphere and trying to work with other platforms, et cetera. Um, just to find, again, it's still considered productivity tool, meaning that it's, um, it's something that is always second on the list, right? We coming from e-commerce where we're generating revenue for the company. That's always exciting. When you come to a company and say, I can make you feel better and more productive. Okay, yeah, number two on the list, absolutely, right? So I started feeling that, you know, it's not growing as fast. It's not as easy to get out of the Magento world uh, with the solution. And I started getting also a lot of requests from our CRM customers that were not necessarily uh, Magento users uh, to create more and more transactional features in the CRM. Meaning that, again, if you're, if you're already making a salesperson sit in the CRM and update data, might as well have him do the work there as well, right? Or maybe, do the work, which is even better, do the work and have the data updated while they're working rather than having multiple systems to do the same thing. And that bundled with what we saw that more and more B2B companies uh, were trying to go online and trying to figure out how they, what does it mean to have a digital or uh, B2B e-commerce uh, solution and go through this process. Hand-to-hand -to -hand together kind of caused us to create Oro Commerce, which is our B2B e-commerce platform slash digital commerce platform. And in a nutshell, when we have a lot of products uh, at Oro, it's a single product, single uh, roadmap. Um, we basically added features to our CRM as bundles. You can turn off completely the CRM if you don't want. You can just use the CRM. You can just use the CRM. It's fully modular, but the idea is that you can combine them and get one solution for both. And we're seeing this a lot. We're seeing that we are either getting CRM customers and once they understand that they can open a front end and we, but they don't have to call it even an e-commerce, they can call it a customer portal or front end to the ERP where they actually have interactions with the customer in a digital way on a digital platform, self-serve, et cetera. That's what we opened up on top of the CRM. But it could be that they are coming for B2B e-commerce and then they're figuring out, well, I can have the CRM and the tools in the same system. Why do I need Salesforce? Let's cut Salesforce out of this equation. We can have one system going. So. We're really seeing that they're kind of helping each other grow um, and it's more kind of used, I'll, I'll be honest, as a marketing because it is a single product that we can enable, disable features as needed per our customers. So we can enable just a customer portal, we can enable catalog, we can enable CRM, we can, we can do all this in, in a single place um, with a single product. And, and just to add to that, we also just released and announced our uh, 
what is it, number four, if you go BAP, CRM, commerce, and then we have marketplace now as well. So we really are getting more and more customers that are um, uh, building marketplaces on top of our solution. And, and again, it's, uh, it's a lot of the same product. Again, we have, we're one of the only solutions for marketplace that has a built-in CRM that is geared towards what you need for marketplace, right? Because we're enabling different sellers to get um, pieces of the, again, just building what we had in the CRM, but uh, opening for them data that's relevant for their customers that they're selling to on the marketplace and they can have a built-in interaction tools with them and CRM, et cetera. So again, we really have this great product that we can um, kind of pre-configure for a specific use case. But what we learn is they cross-pollinate, right? They, you, you have to use some of the features from each one. And, and that's why we're treating it as a single backlog, single development team that we can um, kind of you know, push features for a specific side of the, the product as we need and as we learn that the industry needs. So that's what we're doing today. So sum it up, or a platform, or a CRM, or a commerce, and our marketplace. Okay, that's fantastic. And I think marketplace is definitely one of those things that everybody seems to want nowadays. And it's probably because they're sick of paying fees to Amazon, or they see the success that they've had on Amazon, and they want to duplicate that success. Um, so maybe we could uh, go over some of the features that Oro Commerce has. And I think that's a, you know, I, I had a great conversation with Thomas Fleck about how out of the box, it does almost everything that a B2B company would want out of it. Um, maybe we could discuss uh, some of those features, the ones that you see, that you see are really important to a, a B2B client. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let, let me start quickly from the three big things we were trying to solve with, uh, with uh, Oral Commerce, because I think that's important to kind of kind of start focusing on what is B2B commerce or what is B2B digital commerce, because I think that's uh, very, very wide uh, um, described today. And I think we really need to start talking about what we can and should be focusing on. I think if we put it into three major categories, the first thing is what we call self-serve, meaning that um, the, the obvious use case is I'm selling today to consumers. I'm starting to attract companies that want to buy from me. I need to enable companies to buy uh, from my website as a company, not as a consumer. And, and the big validation that we got for this was Amazon for Business, right? Amazon for Business released this feature where they're allowing companies to sign up to Amazon as companies, right? It's not no longer I share my login information with my uh, office uh, buyer uh, to for them to use it. And my personal credit card is also there because I, I buy uh, movies for my kids, right? So it's like, you want to have a company as an entity buying on your website. And that is B2B. If you're a business and you're selling to another business, that's B2B. And a lot of people are just not looking at that as, a, as something that they need to solve for. And it is because we cannot continue allowing companies to buy as uh, consumers online, right? So we need to treat them with the specific features that they need. For example, they need to be able to manage users, right? Give those, so multiple users under a single account with different permissions. Uh, I wanna have a management, a manager that can manage those users, create them, change their roles, maybe delete them if I fire them, et cetera. I need to limit what they can buy. I need to give them budgets. I need to give them uh, approval systems, right? So if I need to approve a certain um, order. So all these have to be there, otherwise it's not gonna work. It's not enough to just say, oh, you can have multiple users uh, under a single kind of um, umbrella, it's not enough. It really goes deep in terms of what you need to build to be able to serve a company when you're selling them online. 
And I think this is something that is growing. Uh, I think some companies are doing it amazingly well. Staples, uh, again, not maybe doing well as a company, but doing well in actually building these solutions for companies to buy online. Costco, right, has business accounts. And I think Amazon today is definitely uh, starting to lead that. So Amazon for business. So again, if you want today to start selling and being open to companies buying online, you have to start looking at the feature set that you need to have there. And that I call that the self-serve kind of category. The second one is the meat and potatoes that we always uh, talk about or think about when we talk B2B. And this is what we call buyer-seller interaction. We have some buyer that starts doing research. Um, traditionally, they would go to a conference, a convention. Today, they're doing it online, right? Surprising or not, that's what we all do. So they'll start their research online. And that means you have to be indexable. Your catalog has to be indexable. So when somebody does an online search, they'll find you, right? And that's it elementary feature that you'll be surprised how many uh, businesses miss. Um, but then once they find and uh, find a company or a product that they're interested in, uh, asking for pricing, asking for a quote, asking for a RFP, request for proposal, et cetera, that whole system taking it online. So they don't need to go and start looking for an email or phone number or a contact us form. They want to be actively doing some work. And what we created, for example, is a way for them to do this as you would browse the website to create different uh, quotes, different or requests for quotes, different RFPs that they're working on and multitask on that. So meaning, again, we have to remember B2B and B2C, different, different uh, kind of buying habits, right? Um, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but so really creating these kind of features that make them efficient. So they will want to use your website and not go to your competitor to do that. So they have to find all these uh, features. Then once the, the RFP comes in, allowing the other side, which is again, something that a lot of e-commerce platforms are ignoring. There's two sides to the B2B. There's two Bs and there's a B on each side. The sellers, the, the actual sales team and the sellers to actually respond to that, right? In a single system, not third-party system, not starting to send them emails, use one system to do that. Um, and return the pricing. And then once the customer is ready to put in the order, of course, take the order, help them to put in the order, update them on the order statuses, et cetera, and then push this order down the pipes if it's managed fully by us or if it goes to a ERP system and accounting systems for billing, et cetera. So this whole process, the buyer-seller interaction is the biggest piece of what we are doing with uh, Oral Commerce. And the last one is where um, we really call it the marketplaces or B2X. I think they're very similar for us because they're like everything on top of that. So adding features to the B2B, enhancing a lot of these specifically. So we do business to government, we do business to uh, employees, we do business to um, business to consumers. So we enabling my reseller model, uh, franchise models, right on a single system. And the reasons for that is that a lot of times manufacturers determine the pricing, determines what catalogs you can actually sell, what regions, et cetera. So it has to be these systems that are tied together. And that's why we were so better off at solving uh, marketplaces by the analysts because we really have these tools already for all these other use cases of uh, franchisees or for uh, resellers, et cetera. So we already had all the features. Marketplace was uh, almost a non-brainer for us. It's 90% it's, uh, out of the box for us to create a, um, a B2B or a B2C marketplace today. Um, and that put that in the bucket of the B2X, right? So a business needs to sell now to anything. And of course we solve also for B2B and B2C on the same platform. So a lot of our companies that we work with are primarily B2B, but they still have a channel for B2C. To require them to have another solution just to sell to B2C, which is sometimes 5%, 2% of their revenues, 
it's too much, right? We, we want them to have one. So we really have the ability to do B2B and B2C on the same platform. We can do multiple websites on the same platform. I think that's also uh, given. So three big categories, if I have to sum it up, self-serve, uh, buyer-selling interactions, and B2X. Those are the three things we were solving with uh, our commerce. Um, and like I said, we're now we're marketing uh, separately the marketplace as well. But the, all these other scenarios. So feature sets, right? You were asking, I told you it's going to be a long answer. <laughs> uh, in terms of feature sets, we had to really kind of, and the reason we, you know, everybody asked us, why didn't you just build it on top of Magento, right? Why wouldn't you, you know how great Magento is? Why wouldn't you do it on top of Magento? And the reason was that fundamentally we had to build some stuff that from the ground up was too much work. And we did that. I, I, I created solutions on, um, on Magento uh, for B2B. But I saw how much work we had to do and how much of the, we were basically forking out of the Magento in order to do that. Um, and, and that was no, not, not a solution for me. So we really had to start from the beginning. One of the biggest ones is, and I kind of uh, alluded to that, it's the catalog sizes that we're um, encountering in B2B are much, much bigger than what we are used to in B2C. Um, and that means that we had to solve for millions and millions of SKUs. Our biggest customer today has 160 million SKUs uh, on, the, on the catalog and it has to perform. Um, then adding to that is the pricing engine. In B2B, every customer and every user of a customer that can be hundreds of users on their single customer account can have their own individual pricing and we have to support for that. So that's something very fundamental to scale to that level, to be able to have basically infinite number of pricing that are relevant and are uh, searchable. That's a big one because still unable to find a search partner. We had to build search because there's no good search for B2B today on the market. I'm, I'm giving there a freebie if anybody wants to go and create it because I'm trying to work with a lot of search companies. Nobody has a solution for B2B today uh, just because of this indexing of pricing, which is very different. Um, so that will be a big one that we invested a lot in. Um, the multi-org, multi-user, multi-company structure, both on the back end and the front end, meaning that some companies are very, we, we do great with big companies that have uh, multiple business units, multiple companies that are under a single uh, holding company. Uh, but the same is true for your customers in B2B, right? Because again, the B2B is a reflection of each other. So if you have this problem, your customers have this problem too. So we have to support that as well. Uh, so again, we might have to serve uh, resellers from the back end, but then their, their resellers customers might be there on their own, a complex entity. So we have to really scale how we build the customer accounts and all that deeply. Uh, we, we, you know, funny enough, we did invest a lot in CMS to the point where today we have a really good, robust CMS, drag and drop style uh, into the product. Again, we were surprised how much that was needed because I didn't assume that that would be the case. But um, again, we're working with B2B companies a lot of times we're five to 10 years behind where B2C is today. Um, and that was a big thing. So we really invested in that. I'll, I'll mention it because we sometimes I take it for granted, but we really invested in that. And then if I, if I have to kind of really differentiate where we are today is um, what we call the, um, the workflow engine. This is something we invested a lot and, and I can go back to why I did it. Um, I had this, uh, you know, uh, idea way, way back already. Um, I came from a different complete reason. It was for A-B testing. 
uh, because I said, okay, how can we actually enable A-B testing that's not just on a content or on placement on a page, right? How do we actually do it for uh, business processes? Which checkout is better, right? And the way I kind of drew, up in, drew it up in my head was a, a workflow engine, right? That I can determine the steps, I can determine work and transitions and stuff like that. So again, there are BPMs, but BPMs are external that use your API to kind of control what you're doing. I thought there should also be this kind of... Um, tool to uh, create workflows directly on uh, your system that you're working on, because that's very, very important. And that's what I, uh, that's what we actually built into Oro. And we um, have a workflow that allows you to configure any process in the system, any business process in the system is configurable, both backend and frontend, meaning that I can create uh, um, a workflow for opportunity for opportunities in the system differently for different business units or different industries that I'm serving or different users in the system. They can have a completely different user experience. And that is true for the front end as well. So we can literally create a custom user experience for the specific user that is using the front end as well. And that comes to play a lot in B2B. Again, in B2B, we talked about the mirror, two Bs, but there's also the rule of the bigger B wins, meaning that if I'm the seller and I'm a big company and I'm selling to a lot of small companies. I'll tell them, this is how you work with me, right? And everybody will say, oh, I'm in, let's do that. But if the bigger B is the customer, he'll determine and say, look, if you want me to use your website, this is how it needs to work, right? And we've seen this time and time again in B2B. And to have that flexibility, you know, we were, as developers, what we would go and do is, well, if this customer is that, then, you know, whatever, or else do this for this customer doesn't scale, right? That's not the approach that, uh, that's what we used to do in Magento, unfortunately. That's not the approach on how to customize the checkout. So the workflow even works than the checkout. So we can really deliver a unique customer experience, including the checkout on the front end. And it's key for the B2B implementations and for B2B to be adopted. Because if your customers cannot use it, they will not. They will either pick up the phone or go to your competitor. That's the rule in B2B today. So that's why that was like one of the biggest features we invested in. Took a lot of time, but I think we're there now. We can, and with minimal to no coding, we can achieve this. And that's the, the key to this and maintain it. Maintain these uh, experiences outside of uh, up, upgrading your code and stuff like that. So that's where we, we kind of developed that. I just want to kind of go back to how, how traditionally, uh, let me just say from the agency point of view, we don't always think about what the, client wants and the client being the merchant who's going to set up this b2b store it's not always thought about the customer wants to use that website and i know that in our pre-talk we talked a little bit about agencies shoving down a certain solution down somebody's throat because that's that's the solution they sell right um and i think wagento was in that was in that box for quite a long time a lot of it just because of our name, like, you know, we're Magento, so we're <laughs> going to sell Magento. Um, but um, I think that it's opening up everybody's eyes. And I, I appreciate what you said about want to use your website. So maybe we could talk a little bit about how, how, how a business or even an agency would approach that and in, in thinking about making sure that the client wants to use their website. And I like the 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 workflow engine approach too because i feel like you can test some of those things yeah. to make sure that what they're using is what they like because the other thing that's going to happen is and you said it yourself that hey, i don't like this i'm not going to tell anybody i'm just going to go where it's easier or i'm going to go because right. this other company has even if the company's a little bit more expensive 
it's easier to use their system. I can get it done and in and out the door and I don't have to spend all kinds of time trying it. Right, and, and a big thing we have to remember in B2B versus B2C, even today, B2C is almost a one-time experience, right? I mean, we're, buy, we're building it, kind of thinking that the customer will be in and out once on this uh, checkout. We're trying to build it for the widest range of users possible, right? Lowest common denominator, intuitive, highest average order amount we can get and see you because we're most likely never seeing you again, right? That is thrown out the window when you talk about B2B. B2B is long-term relationships. Again, we can discuss this uh, in a different call maybe, but in reality today, it is a, it is a long-term relationship. Meaning that once I find a, as a buyer, once I find a vendor or a seller that I wanna work with, I establish this relationship. It's a painful kind of structure to establish, but once we have it, I will use your services as much as possible. But it's not a given. It's not something you can say, well, it will never change. So. As we are going through these transformations, these companies are going from uh, offline, I'll call it, to online. There was a reason why these customers stayed with you for so long. You gave them good pricing, you gave them good support, you gave them good service, you gave them a good customer experience. They were with you for a long time. When we are doing these transitions to digital, which again, we can talk about later why it, it's a must to do, but it's definitely something that's happening. This actually puts a lot of businesses at risk because now you're making the customers say, well, I cannot pick up the phone and talk about Little League and then put an order in. I have to use the system. Does the system work for me? And I'm going to use it a lot, right? I come there at least once a week or I come there a few times a day because I have to check up on the order statuses and stuff like that. If I can't do what I need to do intuitively, there will be a competitor that will figure it out and do it better, right? And like you said, sometimes my time is money and if I can save, maybe I'll spend a few more bucks, but I'll save time and effort and the system will work better for me. I'll get what I need. My people will actually be more efficient. They can do other things. That's where the play starts coming, right? And, and that's why we really have to invest in creating the right customer experience. And again, moreover, keeping this B2B, bigger B wins mindset in B2B, it's sometimes not even an option. If you cannot provide the features that the, uh, your customers need in order to, to work, and I, and I can talk about real life examples, but if you cannot uh, give them the right user experience that they need, they cannot use the system. It's not even a question, right? So you have to custom tailor it to their requirements. Again, like I said, if they're bigger than you, you'll do whatever they ask you to keep them as a customer because you know there's alternatives and you'll have to do that. And you can do it easily or you can do it with a lot of spend and time and money by creating custom code every time they change their minds, right? And those bigger B, believe it or not, they tend to be the ones that are generating the most revenue for you, but also demanding the most, right? It's not surprise or is surprise, but that's how it works. And, but you can keep them happy. And if they're happy, they'll stay with you for a long time. So we see this investment, initial investment more for bigger customers, but it's worthwhile because once they use it, you're actually saving money. You don't have, we, we worked with customers that um, they had a dedicated team to answer their bigger customers, right? Um, and they don't need them anymore to kind of service this customer. This customer can now do 90% of what they do online. They don't need to pick up a phone and talk to somebody and it's less frustrating and they don't have to wait and somebody's sick, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They can just work, right? And we automated the billing. We automated the approval process. We did a lot of these things that creates a much deeper relationship moving forward, right? So whereas before it was Lila League, best pricing, good customer experience, today it's the digital experiences, it goes hand in hand to that. Maybe we lose Lila League, but we can have a Lila League uh, 
you know, uh, swatch or something on the, on the website where people can watch the uh, scores. But I'm saying losing some of the person, uh, you know, personal attention, or as we actually learned, maybe having more of that, because now that you talk, it's just to keep the relationship going. It's not about what's the order status or stuff like that. So you have more time to, to invest in the relationship aside from the day-to-day -day mundane kind of work. So that's what we're investing in. Yeah, and I think it could be both. It could be the the user calling in and and either putting the order in as they're talking, or even the customer service person or the salesperson putting in the order on behalf of the user uh, yeah. for them. So it could still be both. Um, I like and and sometimes you... sometimes even just doing that part. And but like I said, we call it. You know, some of our customers don't call it B two B e-commerce. They call it customer portal. Our customers need to see the order status. They need to follow the process. They need to approve it because it can be like at different steps of the order, they need to approve that step, right? So before where it was, let's schedule a meeting, let's do that. They can just do it with an email and a click of a button and then everything is done. Okay, so first thing I have to say is that we're gonna have to do a part two because we're almost <laughs> okay. out of time. And I have so many more questions that I wanna ask, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, this went really quick. Uh, um, so um, let's let's kind of, finish up today and then let's commit to doing a part two because i think Absolutely. there's there's questions around roi and differentiations between other platforms and there's so many things now that that are in the b2b space that are unique to b2b let's face it all the other the majority of the other solutions were built b2c and then they added b2b i think what i like about oral commerce is that you were built b2b and then you've sort of adopted some some things that are B2C and market marketplace is a hot thing, like we've said. So yeah. I, I would like to kind of dive into that a little bit more. And then personalization, specialization. I think that what we talked about earlier is, is making it so that it doesn't have to be developed, that out of the box, you can use some configurations to make your specializations work for you. And I think what's not often recognized is the client in a B2B setting wants to be able to get that customized experience for them. They'll feel more at home and you don't get that creepy feeling that you do when you go to a B2C website and like, how do they know that I like that? Or I don't remember giving them that data, even if you might've, I don't remember giving them and how do they know that I like blue so much or right. you know, whatever the thing is like, right. So the specialization I think is uh, also pink, pink in my case, but yeah, <laughs> yeah pink. as you right. can see, I wear a lot of pink magenta. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I wasn't going to use that word, but yeah. All right. Sorry. Um, yeah. So let's commit to a part two, if we could. Absolutely. And then um, I think, you know, as we, we got a couple of minutes left here, um what uh like what are you doing to keep up with things how do you keep up you mentioned you do some weekend coding yeah <laughs> code at least what else are you doing to kind of keep up with the times uh so i i do spend time uh with customers i i join sales calls i go to conferences i spend time on the ground talking to the actual people that are intending to use my software i think that always brings me to the ground of where stuff is really happening. Uh, I will say a lot of times reading a lot of the blogs and books and you know talking to some of the analysts or technology partners and stuff like that is creating this uh, false view of the world. Um, you know, with B2C, we were running so fast, right? We, and it keeps running. I mean, it's, I mean, maybe a bit slowed down the last couple of years, but I think it was running so fast. We were innovating on a daily basis, right? 
Uh, I think with, with B2B, what happened was, um, on, on my mistake uh, for sure, was that we a little bit overshot the, the intended audience, which kind of grounded me back to spending a lot of time with customers. So I, I work on projects. I, I participate in, um, in actual implementations just to kind of learn. I, I sit on sales calls. I meet with them. I have uh, quarterly um, meetings with a lot of my customers just to kind of stay in touch and in tune with what they're actually doing and how they're using the product. I think this is my biggest you know, share that I can say specifically for B2B. Again, I'm not saying it doesn't work for other industries to read what's the cutting edge uh, solution, but actually identifying how the product is used in the real world is, is key. And I learned that in Magento a lot, but again, in Magento, I really felt like we were, were leading and people were following, uh, not following like in the terms of uh, that, but they were adopt, adopting everything we were creating. So that was great. Sometimes not, but a lot of times, yes. Um, we can talk about another episode, maybe about all the unused features of Magento. Um, but um, this is my number one way of doing and keeping up because again, I really feel that a lot of the publications and writings about B2B today is so disconnected from the truth and reality of what businesses are going through and what they need in order to go through this transformations that they are going through right now. Yeah, and I, I'm going to just say one of the biggest ways I've been able to learn and keep up with our clients is doing a, a quarterly what's working, what's not working, give them 10, 15 minutes, throw everything on a piece of paper that you can think of, and then go over that and then create some issues about what's not working. And, and let's work on that not working for the next quarter. And I think that any B2B merchant should be looking at that on their website with their partner, with all their vendors. Uh, and making sure that what's not working is being addressed. Because I think right. what we've all seen is that it's not working because, and that because might be super simple. And sometimes people, sometimes developers tend to over-engineer something and that, that that's not working because, man, they've made this solution that's super complicated and here's an easier way to do it. And getting some more people in the room to decide on that every quarter, I think is a great way to, to go about that. Yeah, and I think a great example is all the headless PWA, right? You know, we were, we're doing, we support a lot of it. We have integrations with that, but coming right now to a company that doesn't have an online catalog even, right? Doesn't, they're not at all indexable. And talking to them about PWA and headless, it's an overshot, right? It's like, yeah. let's talk about what they need, which they need to be indexable and searchable and found online, right? Um, how? That they don't really care right now. You know, so sometimes we we tend to lead with the wrong terms and the wrong kind of features and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. And on the flip side, the the CEO of some company hears PWA and they're like, we need that. And I'm like, well, maybe you don't need it. Let's look at some <laughs> other things because it, it, it does add some complexity. Um all right. So as we wrap things up today, uh, why don't you give a, give a shameless plug about something? What, what do you want to plug today? Well, I definitely um, would ask uh, developers to give us a shot, look at what we're doing. Um, I think we are uh, definitely going to surprise a lot of uh, developers that didn't look at what we're doing uh, with everything we were building. Uh, join our uh, community and ecosystem. I think it's um, something that will open your eyes again if nothing else, to just a different approach to, to solving some of the problems we've been doing for many years together. 
Um, that would be my biggest plug. And of course, uh, join us uh, and learn about our newest product, which is our marketplace. I think it's going to really open uh, a lot of possibilities for a lot of system integrators and developers that are getting a lot of demand for this now. So those are my two plugs. Uh, I think, um, again, I'm not asking anybody to for money or anything at this point. I just want us to to kind of uh, um, work together and, and um, you know, I, I, I'll have to say this is a quick story. I think we can end with that. Uh, I had the humbling experience, right, of going to a conference in Germany and meeting this young um, early 20s developer, really talented guy. And he came to our booth and uh, he looked at uh, Aura and he's like, what is Aura? And I'm like, oh, well, we have Aura Commerce. It's a B2B commerce platform. And he's like, you have no chance in hell. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, you probably don't know, but there's a solution called Magento that's going to kick your ass. It's so good. <laughs> and again, it's, it's humbling because he didn't know who I am and stuff. So it was a good lesson to hear how he said. And, and what I, what I want to focus on is that I asked him, but did you even look at us? Did you even take a look? And maybe he will surprise you. And his answer is no, I didn't. Well, that's what I'm taking. I'm, all I'm asking is for people to give us a chance, look at what we've done um, and, and give us feedback so we can learn and do better. So. Yeah, and I'll just say for myself, I I tend to at least install it on my local, and I still have my local running on my computer, believe it or not. Um, and uh, I found the Oro folks on your forum um, super helpful. Like I started with Oro when it was in beta, running it locally, and I'll I'll admit that I don't have as so much time as I had in the past to do some of those things, but the just the community and the answers that I got to get me to the to getting a live site in my local and then I put one up on Amazon and uh, or AWS or whatever and uh, it was it it wasn't as difficult it wasn't difficult at all I should say and I was I was able to do it and if I can do it anybody can do it. <laughs> that's always um, my approach if I can do it anybody can do it so. yeah and, so and, and again just, we, a lot of the lessons we learned we're improving uh, from what we learned in Magento I think one of the biggest one was we have a dedicated team to help the ecosystem and community to to get there. So again, I, I welcome anybody to check it out and just give us feedback to learn back. So yeah, not to scare away any merchants. You don't have to try to do this yourself. Oh no, 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 partner who's yeah. really good at it. Don't come to me. Uh, <laughs> come to Wagento, but don't have me do it on on the weekend because that's what I typically do. But anyways, the point is that the support is fantastic. And uh, I've always had a really good experience. Um, Thank you. All right. Well, I, I'm going to give one my own little shameless plug at the end here. We are planning an unconference in Orlando, Florida. Right now, our target date is January 21st, 2022. We're going to welcome all platforms. And it's going to be an unconference. If you've been to the Mage Unconference in, in, in Cologne, Germany, it's going to be yep. in that format. It's super fun, limited size. We're going to have people vote. Uh, the last one, I went to the last one and Shopware was there. And the, and the two brothers who own Shopware were putting up, uh, were putting up topics. <laughs> it was really, a, it was a fun time. It was non, you know, it was like everybody was there to collaborate and everybody was there to talk about it. Vinay talked about closure, which he seems to talk about all the time. Um, it was just so much fun. So we're, you know, if anybody knows, there's a thing called Disney World, I guess, or something in 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 Orlando. I know that I think there's one in LA too. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're 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 really working on this. We're going to try to get it. We're going to get a website launched, and uh, we're working with Firebear over in Germany, the same people that kind of put on that Mage Unconference. So that's my shameless plug.
No, no. And uh, if it works out, I'll be happy to try and join. So. Great. Well, Yoav, thank you again today. It was, it was um, I appreciate you taking the time and we're going to have to schedule a second one because absolutely, there's so much absolutely. more to talk about. An oral. <laughs> I, have a, I have the link to your calendar. I'll just get on it. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Bye. The Talk Commerce podcast is sponsored by Swift Daughter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet Swift Daughter. Swift Daughter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento Certification Study Materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TALKCOMMERCE for 15% off any digital goods at swiftotter.com. Cloud is a new normal for companies of any size. Buying, maintaining, upgrading, and disposing of machines is expensive and complicated. Amazon Web Services, managed by eWay Corp, offers an easy-to-use, flexible, cost-effective solution to all your infrastructure needs. eWay Corp can provide a secure, reliable, scalable, high-performance network that will make your office hum, not literally. Eway Corp has saved its customers an average of 31% on their IT costs while adding 62% to the bottom line efficiency. To top that, their customers have seen 43% fewer security incidents. Go to eWayCorp.com to learn how you can start saving money and headaches by moving to the cloud. That's E-W-A-Y-C-O-R-P.com. Thank you again for listening. My name is Brent Peterson, and it has been my pleasure to be your host today. Please rate and subscribe to Talk Commerce, new shows out every week.